Hi, I'm Rachel England, and this is Brain Yapping, Battle Damaged, a podcast where me and my friend and renowned neuroscientist Dean Burnett discuss all matters mental health, because 2020 really did its best to kick the crap out of ours. Hi Dean, how's it going? Okay, Rich, how are you? Yeah, not too bad, thank you. Um, definitely feeling a bit perkier for the clocks having gone forward. forward? Yes. Forward. <laughs> Even yes. though it was a few days ago, I'm still like, forward? <laughs> Question well, mark. Well, I mean, there is still, even in this time where I rely largely on my phone to tell me the time and my computer, and obviously it does everything for me, I'm still finding, like, I've got, like, a, a toothbrush timing doodle in the bathroom and the time's wrong on that, and the time's wrong on my oven, and the time's wrong in my car. And so I'm kind of like living in this like weird limbo where I'm like, what time is it? I don't know. <laughs> I found that whenever like the clocks go forward or back, it just, I think I mentioned on Twitter a few times, but it's remarkable how many people's lives unknowingly revolve around the, the, the oven clock. Because yes. they, they seem to throw out a lot of people, even though you know most of our devices are connected by magical waves now and update themselves but still the oven clock seems to be like the cornerstone of most people's existence you're right and actually a few weeks ago i i noticed that my boyfriend's oven clock was wrong it was just it was just like nonsense time (laughs) so i made this big song and dance about getting it like getting it set properly and i can't for the life of me remember how i did it it was it just it was like oh my god it's like you need a phd to reset an oven clock don't you (laughs) And um, and now I've just it's occurred to me that I'm going to have to do it again since I've obviously made a rod for my own back by, be, yes. by being the person that complains about the time on the oven clock. I've just created a job of work for myself. Yeah, well, you know, again, we we are struggling for things to do during lockdown, so <laughs> yes, that, can be, exactly. that can be your thing now, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to learn what all of the settings on my microwave do. <laughs> yeah, I've never done that. I think oh, some of these are just witchcraft, I'm sure. <laughs> you know? Well, I mean, I think a lot of people just kind of go, do you know what, mash it, is the food hot? Then it's done. Yeah, yeah. fine. Put your hand on it. Does it hurt? That's fine. That'll do. Yeah, it's good. ready to eat. Yum. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. Just a heads up, because obviously I'm in my garden and uh, it's uh, the weather's improved, which does mean that the neighbours sometimes take their parrot outside. So if any point you hear a squeaky voice saying, hello, bimbo, that's what that is. Sure. Okay, yeah, the parrot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have that range, to be honest. <laughs> the they take the breath. parrot outside, what, they're like on a little lead or in a cage? It's in a cage, or... yeah, yeah. And yeah. Uh, last year my, carrot, my cat found it and climbed the cage thinking <gasps> he could get at this big bird. And then the bird said, hello. And it freaked him right out. And the still... cat was like, no, yeah. what? This doesn't compute. Violation of norms. <laughs> cannot, yeah. cannot accept this. Yeah, yeah, I refuse to accept this. Oh, yeah. well, the teachable moment for pickles. It was it was very amusing to watch. I will not lie, that, lie about that. So, this week, yeah. I have a, a slightly hidden agenda, which That's is fine. that in addition to the work I do with you on this podcast, I'm actually, for people that don't know really uh, more of a sustainability communicator Mm. and this week's podcast ties in with the launch of my first book yes joining the author pool yes yeah that's it welcome to the club rach Mm -hmm. um and it comes out on the 15th of april it's called everyday activism and it basically details um small actionable tasks that people can do that will actively make a tangible difference in the world um, so, oh gosh, I should probably work on the elevator pitch, really, shouldn't I? <laughs> um, well, so, I 
obviously, as well as that being this being an opportunity for a, a big plug for that, um, it also ties in quite nicely with something that I've been wanting to talk to you about for a while anyway, mm-hmm. which is the idea of eco-anxiety. Mm. And I think that that's something that's really pertinent at the moment because it ties into the idea of enacting change on a massive scale. And I think that that's something that we're all very mindful of at the moment because of the pandemic. Yeah. The idea of things sort of being out of our control and how can I, just one person, make a difference? Mm. No, big deal, yeah. Cool. Um, And so I spend a lot of time thinking about eco-anxiety in a sort of a broad context because you know we're told every day recycle don't run the taps whilst you're brushing your teeth walk if you can don't take the car that sort of thing but i know that there's this big narrative around all of those um, conversations of like well why bother what difference does it make because and this is something that we've discussed um in this series the idea of something being so enormous and uncontrollable that it's easy to just panic and do mm. nothing maybe yeah totally but that's that's a really common thing is you know we we are like sensitive to threats to dangers i mean i've talked about this quite a lot lately because it's, it's the end of the it's the underlying mecha- mechanism of anxiety really you know, that part of your brain which is constantly looking for dangers or you know, producing the fear response being overstimulated and not having anything particularly and uh, tangible to connect to, but still going along. So they, it's we get anxiety from. But it's you know it's not a disorder because the the, the environment going wrong is a genuine thing to worry about and, and isn't going away anytime soon. So yeah, so I would say like oh, eco anxiety doesn't count as a problem cognitively unless it's genuinely causing you, you know, to be debilitated by it. Which mm. I mean, have you encountered that? Is that a thing? Because I'm not I've not encountered that myself. But uh, you're you're more in the field than me. So I don't I don't think that it's something that is by and large debilitating in the same way that like a cognitive disorder is. But I certainly have um, had conversations with people who perhaps if they are already predisposed to things like depression um, may, may fixate on this idea of like the world imploding and that might actually compound existing issues for them. Yeah. One one thing that I find quite interesting uh, is how we conceptualise the idea of things like climate change. Because on one hand, we're being presented with like a lot of um, you know, images of doom and gloom, like the world's on fire, the forests are burning down, like all the wildlife's dying. Um, and what this means for us in the future, you know, disruption to our food systems and um, to the way we are just able to conduct our everyday lives. But that's all very far away for a lot of people you know it's like well it's not happening now it's not affecting me directly so why should I be concerned about it Mm. and then conflate that with the people that are actually very concerned about it and how it it must be so difficult to become to be so anxious about something that isn't actually at this stage particularly tangible if you understand what I mean yeah, totally. I think that's a big part of the problem. I think a lot of um, you know the denialism will stem from that at some level, at least. Maybe not all of it, because now it's become quite ideological, or you know, um, uh, or like just drummed up in certain communities, or you know that sort of stuff. But I, I will say that I would strongly suspect that at least in the original uh, manifestations, that this idea that climate change is a myth or it's nonsense or it's made up a conspiracy to you know 
stifle innovation, blah, 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 all those, you know, all those claims you get. And I still occasionally get emails about because I wrote an article for The Guardian once taking the mick out of climate change uh, denialism by... Uh, because the, the premise was it was 100 years in the future and it was climate change had clearly happened and I was still denying it. And uh, mm. a lot of people are either mocking me, or, sorry, having a go at me for saying it's not real or that be, I'm, I'm being cited by denialists who say, see, see, this is the Guardian, so it must be, you know, they think so. And like, oh, oh God. God. Yeah, it's like, please read beyond the title sometimes, people. <laughs> well, about. yeah, it's like it's like The Onion, isn't it? Getting people sharing articles from that <laughs> yeah. and they're horrified and you're like, okay, yeah, sure. That's yeah. exactly what's happened. Yeah. We're, so, um, we're weaponising kittens, sure. Okay. <laughs> well, let's crack on to that. That sounds fun. It's a very small effort, too, because cats are inherently vicious. And that is a problem which, you know, I, I deal with. But, yeah, I think there will be an, an, a, you know, a, an underlying uh, feeling of if this, you know, what they say about climate change is correct, then this is a massive problem which is going to affect my, my life and my children's life further down the line. Mm. And... Well, for a lot of people, you know, there'll be just an instinctive defence mechanism of saying, no, if I just deny that, if I just say that's not happening, then that makes me feel better. I actually do... No, I, don't, I don't like this anxiety that comes from knowing that what well, my, the way I live is actually causing harm. Because there'll probably be an element of guilt to that as well in some people. Are that So, you know, if, if I accept that climate change is real, that means I am, quote-unquote, a bad person, or like I'm doing damaging things, and for some people, and for, like, it's, it's almost a human instinct, it's easier to say, uh, no, no, that's not happening, actually. And because it is so you know, broad and uh, the consequences are so diffuse and long-term, mm. uh, it's easier to sort of ignore them because I think the same thing happens in politics, too, is in, you know, when you vote in someone who's awful and they do bad things, but it, you know, it takes like three or four years to get anything done in politics, so you, know, you can sort of divorce your original... Involvement in the in, in the you know, in them being elected from what what's actually happening. So, yeah, I think there's a big part to be said about that. Is in you know, the, the problems we face these days are too far removed from the actual source of them. So, there's a lot there's a lot of grey area there to to get lost in. Mm. I think as well. I mean, obviously, sustainability is my main area. So, I do a lot of reading. I'm aware of what the reports are saying and what science is saying currently, and so. I am mindful that there are changes happening now that scientists are documenting that are showing, right, this is this is something that it's it's started, you know, this is not a kind mm. of like, oh no, one day in the future type thing. But <clears throat> communicating that to a wider global audience, like I said, is challenging because for most people there is no direct impact on their day-to-day -day life. And if, if anything, things like um uh, like being, you know, told that you have to do recycling or that the price of um, petrol is changing in order to try and dissuade petrol car drivers and that's that sort of thing. It just it just feels like a huge, um, it just feels like a huge sacrifice for them. So actually, at this juncture, they're just thinking, oh God, climate change, all it does is sort of just shit on my daily life, <laughs> Yeah. you know, without being able to see the long-term impact um, that these these changes will have, which, uh, in my opinion, are not are not big enough changes, and they're not pronounced enough. Um, and actually, recent reports, uh, government has released the latest CO two emissions for the UK, um, and they found that over the course of lockdown during twenty twenty, uh, emissions dropped by eight point nine percent. So let's say nine percent. 
okay? Which is great, that's brilliant. And that's the sort of level of progress we need in order to achieve like the most important targets of mitigating the worst effects of climate change. But if we think about how enormously our daily lives were disrupted over the past year, you know, people working from home, building office buildings essentially lying empty, you know, the, the economic consequences of it, you can see the extent of change that's needed to actually um, make a tangible difference to climate change. And and that's you know it's not a good time, is it? Like no, nobody's nobody's excited about these things. Um, and I can see that yes, maybe on one hand that is why people, I suppose yeah, it's denialism, isn't it? It's just it's perhaps just easier to think no that that seems like too much work and it's too difficult. It's just easier to just pretend it's not happening. Yeah, and I think that's actually a big um, problem in just the modern world generally that. The problems that we are faced with now, because because we are so interconnected, because we have so much information just readily available to us, and because we're so aware of everything that's going on, then the problems become, you know, you feel insignificant. You feel like you feel like you've lost autonomy, and the, mm. that's one thing instinctively we don't like. We don't like having no control over our life or over the threats that uh, could you know could do something to us, and. I think that is what climate change is. You know, this is a big threat, a big problem, and it will affect us all if it do. If it happens, say if it happened next year, then yeah, definitely will be affected. And but it's on such a massive scale, we can't, we can't individually do anything about it that we feel we don't see the we we don't see the outcome of our actions in that. Mm. You know, if you if you recycle, no, great, I put my recycling together and it gets taken away, and okay, then that's <laughs> that's the thing I did. <laughs> now I've got to do it again for forever. Yeah. Or, you know, if you, like, I've, I bought a, a hybrid car. Okay, cool. Still driving. I have, you know, you don't feel any sort of tangible benefit to your immediate life. And that is, I think, what a lot of people struggle with. I think someone tweeted about the pandemic. You've seen, it seems like there are two types of people. People who will make sacrifices for the greater good and who will, you know, make huge changes to their lives to keep other people safe. Mm. And those who consider any minor inconvenience them utterly unacceptable. Yes. Like, yes like absolutely. Yeah, and like obviously that'll affect climate change or the climate problem quite tangibly too. Like some people just cannot accept that. Well, you mean I've got to do so? I've got, my wife's got to be marginally worse in order for other people to benefit. I'm not doing that, and that's. I mean, I I can't agree or support that opinion, but it seems quite a common one. I mean, and you and you can see how the issue with climate change is exacerbated then in that over the past year as you say there are people that want to help and people that can't be asked or that are inherently <laughs> selfish and this is in the face of a very acute global situation it is happening now you know and people wearing masks and washing hands and obeying social distancing the statistics show that it has a direct impact on the spread of the virus and therefore the the chance of life returning to quote normality anytime soon and people still can't do their bit we look at climate change which is it's very much you know boiling the lobster boiling the toad that's the expression isn't it <laughs> the frog, frog isn't it oh, the yeah. Frog, yeah. <clears throat> um about how we're not going to just wake up one morning and open the curtains and like the world is like will literally be on fire it will be a slow and steady march towards an irreversible level of destruction and it will be one of those situations where 
hindsight will obviously be fantastic. Oh, if only we knew at the time, if only we could have done something. But this is the this is the thing is that we we have been given plenty of opportunities to do something. But as you rightly say, it's very difficult to encourage people to do that in a in a meaningful way when there is no immediate like impact of their behaviours, and so that leads it's it's just a many pronged attack, isn't it? Because then of course there are people that are that feel very passionately about changing their behavior for the benefit of the climate but when they see you know for every one person that puts litter in the bin they say 10 people that just chuck it on the floor you think oh what's the point what difference do i make you know what why even try it's it's hopeless and that feeds into the sense of despair hmm. <clears throat> i think that you know, we are sort of kind of programmed to do that to, to the negatives invariably hit us harder than the positives <clears throat> because and because the way the brain's wired, something people doing something negative, people doing something harmful, or doing something just unpleasant, that you know that sort of, again, uh, sort of ticks up the activity in the the threat detection part of the brain, which we, and we are so so hardwired to you know, to be very sensitive to any any sort of danger or risk or threat because obviously that's a good survival mechanism. So, like every you know, you've done stand up, and like uh, if you've ever had the experience of. Not you. I mean, anyone who's listening to this who's ever been on stage and doing something, some sort of performance, and maybe there's a hundred people there, ninety-nine smiling faces, one scowling face, and that scowling face is one that'll stay with you far longer than the smiley ones. Or uh, you know, it's stuff like that. Like the, the the insults always cut through more effectively than the the praise because mm. uh, it's just it's just how we work. You know. Also, I think there's a default norm expecting a general manners. So. When someone says, "Oh, you're really good at that," you think, "Oh, they're just being polite," and you know, because that's what people—that's what people do. Um, whereas someone says, "You were crap," and like, well, they must be very honest, and they must have no ulterior motives because that's—it's—it's uh, it's unhelpful. But that seems to be how we uh, how we how we are set up. So, mm. it—you know—there there is a big part of that. So when you see people being like, "I don't give a damn," I'm just going to throw this bucket of shit on the floor i'm just gonna i'm just gonna throw all my plastic bags in the ocean actively because why well not? i mean yeah. this this has been recorded just the week before easter where we have the lovely weather and some of the pictures coming out from public spaces around the uk hmm. after yesterday's sunshine would suggest exactly that here's <laughs> every bit of plastic i can get my hands on and i'm just going to leave it here in a park <laughs> so that's yeah. not even an exaggeration no no i mean i think Again, like uh, not with, with your laptop, but people don't don't actively go to the sea and just throw stuff in it because that's again that requires effort for, for no benefit. So sometimes, you know, unless you're being in a, unless you're a bit weirdly set up, then that's not going to work. But yeah, so people will focus on the negatives more. But again, like I say, for a, it doesn't take many people to make a mess on a park like that. So say if only one in ten people was doing that, it'll still look pretty bad because you don't see the. The people not doing that, you know, they don't leave any tangible trace. And the same with, like, you know, again, people say about the internet, online comments and stuff, you know, like, oh, you read them think, oh, everyone's awful. People, people, humans are terrible. And I really get annoyed when people just do that. They say, oh, humans are rubbish. They're beyond saving. They should all be wiped out. And, these, and yeah, there are plenty who are just dreadful. But again, you don't see the people who read something they don't like and go, oh, well, that's not nice, but I'm going to ignore that because. I'm a normal person who doesn't seem to spend every hour of every day insulting strangers online. And mm. yeah, so the way things are set up, the way we're set up, the way the world's set up is that you, you only see the extremes, the negatives, all the positives. And 
there's a lot of uh, you know there's a lot of space in between for improvements to be made and not be yelled about or you know to be championed uh, not to be uh, crowed and espoused so I think yeah, it's, I, I'm always drawn to the optimistic side of things that yeah some people are bad but not all people are bad and uh, and I think you know, cause we, we just focus on the negatives far more than we perhaps realise we're doing mm. You're right I mean it's it's the old expression isn't it you know if, if you're if you're doing your job right then it looks like you're not doing anything at all mm. yeah um and I think, I mean, certainly in, in the, the fields that I move in, I would say that more people are concerned about the environment than you might think. And again, that is, as you rightly point out, because the noise made by the climate deniers and the people that leave their rubbish on the ground or whatever is so much louder. And it does it does cut more deeply than the people that make the effort to put their stuff in a bin or recycle or whatever. Hmm. Um, so... I do think that there are more people out there that are, that are worried about the environment than, you know, a lot of media portrayals might suggest. Um, and also, I think as as the conversation around the climate has increased and intensified in recent times, there is, I think, a, a real strong social norm to giving a shit about the earth, you know. Um, and I think that certainly people are more mindful of things like i mean we keep going back to back to littering here which really <laughs> in the grand in the grand scheme of things is like a drop in the ocean but it's one of the most obvious indicators of someone's attitude towards the environment isn't it yeah well, it's um, like a politics like people like all these big huge policies and implications but people often vote based on well, who can deal with the bins better because that's yeah. that's my life you know? exactly um but there is i think there is a real um social uh what's the word i'm looking for that there's conformity around it now certainly if i was walking with a friend and they they threw something on the ground i would i would chew them out over it what the hell are you doing hold on to it there's a bin Mm -hmm. you know that sort of thing and so i think that maybe people are adopting greener activities even if they don't really care that much about the planet, because it's the right thing to do. It's been seen as the right thing to do. And that's certainly a narrative that we have to continue pushing. Yeah. Because, <clears throat> you know, people, people, it's, it's like, and this is, this is a sort of like a very tangential uh, example. But I remember back in the 2000s, maybe even the 90s, people used to t- use the expression gay in a negative connotation you know if something was bad it was gay and that was completely normal until people started saying no don't you don't say that and this is why it's a problem and now if anybody was to use that expression in a derogatory way you know that people would let them know that it's unacceptable Mm. and so can hope that you know issues with the climate and people's concern towards the planet is perhaps moving the same way However, obviously the challenge here is enormous and there's no way to sugarcoat that. Like the climate crisis is exactly that. It is a crisis. And so we need to sort of encourage that behaviour, but um, on a much grander scale. And that's when it comes down to things like corporate responsibility, for example, Mm. Um, on a much grander scale and much faster. So it Anybody that pays attention to these matters will know that the scale of the challenge and quite rightly and fairly, we'll feel hugely overwhelmed by it all. <laughs> and that's where the despair ca- comes in. Yeah. 
That's totally right. Yeah, and and I do think there's a you know, there's, there's a lot of that going on in that a lot of the arguments now, like people take an issue with other people and stuff you see online. I think a lot of that can stem from the fact that the actual challenge, the thing they are most logically worried about, is perhaps too overwhelming for them or too it's just too much. You no, know, you see things like, like labour activists fighting other parts of labour or you know the whole trans and feminist thing and you know logically these are people who should be working together to take on the most obvious enemy you know, like the, the patriarchy the, the, the corrupt right-wing government and stuff but that's a challenge that's a big challenge and you, it takes a lot of effort and there's no guarantee of success and as a result it seems a lot easier a lot more comforting and a lot more feels more productive to take issue with something well i could feasibly win this i could feasibly do this i think there's something someone coined it called it the, the bicycle shed phenomenon i'm not sure if it's uh, apocryphal or based on actual thing but people designing a nuclear reactor you know like a nuclear power station uh, they spent more time on the bicycle shed where you know where the staff would lock their bikes than the reactor because the reactor like that's that's big that's a big thing that was really complex and really dangerous and really powerful and we don't know how to do that but we think the bike shed should be here. No, no, it should be over here because there's better access for the... No, no, but this is where the path is. No, no, and then... So it, it, it's a graspable thing. Mm. It's a graspable challenge. Whereas, you know, the climate... If you can, Even if you grasp what's happening, like CO2 levels causing runaway temperature shifts and et cetera, et cetera, you can grasp that. But the idea of doing something about it, you know, you think, well, I, I'm, I'm completely helpless in the face of this. And that, they say, that does lead to a sense of futility, of despair, and... A loss of autonomy which we don't like and are just instinctively opposed to so we tend to find things we can do I can find well maybe I can't do that but I can do this thing I can give a pound to UNICEF I can you know <laughs> I can I can use a different type of detergent and maybe that's good you know maybe like in, in total these things can add up and uh, I'm guessing that's a big part of what your book's about Absolutely. And I do strongly believe that they, they do add up, even as, as futile as it might seem in the face of, as we say, you know, the seemingly insurmountable challenge. Uh, but I think that one of the reasons that people are liable to think, oh, God, what's the point? It just doesn't make any difference what I do, um, is because perhaps the way that everything links together in the climate narrative is not particularly well communicated to the population at large you know so one 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 argument i see time and time again especially on twitter um is very well-meaning people saying oh it's all very well and good that we recycle or whatever but really we should be getting like bp and amazon and exxon mobil to be accountable for their emissions and i absolutely agree with that 100 percent. that is where big change will happen okay is if the companies that are responsible for the majority of global greenhouse gases actually do something about it. However, it's not helpful, I don't think, to draw a line between people that are trying to do their bit, you know, and these big corporate offenders. It's the the thing is, is that people's behaviour can actually help to influence corporate behaviour. You know, people... Brands and organisations and, and big corporations are only successful because people use their products. Essentially, that's what it comes down to. <clears throat> I think people often underestimate, you know, the power they yield, admittedly en masse, but the power they yield with the products, they, services they choose to, 
to use and buy. If everybody woke up tomorrow and said, all right, you know what, um, I'm no longer going to, I'm no longer going to use um, meat products. Like if literally everybody did that, we're not eating meat anymore. Then, I mean, obviously the, the meat industry would fall on its ass. But, <laughs> but corporations would have to respond to that. And I mean, maybe you may be using meat's a bit of a controversial example because obviously there's a big narrative around vegetarianism. But if everybody woke up and said, okay, I'm no longer going to use Amazon, then that's something that Amazon would have to address. Why aren't they, why aren't people using our products? Oh, because, you know, we don't believe in your sustainability policies or whatever. Mm. Okay, then they have to change. They have to shift. And we are seeing more and more brands and companies are putting the focus on sustainability and no longer just because it's a nice to have bolt on or because it ticks a box in the CSR report or whatever, but because people are demanding and requesting that these products be produced and made with the environment and the planet in mind. And that is what is driving a shift. So if you're in the supermarket and you're looking at two kinds of fabric softener, a one's super overpackaged and it's full of chemicals and one of them's perhaps a more natural option that comes in a recycled bottle, by choosing the the more sustainable option, you know, you are sending a message. And then it's about communicating your efforts to others to create what I mentioned earlier, which is just like social norm you know, so it becomes the social norm to make sustainable choices. And then that has a ripple effect that does eventually guide the decisions of businesses and how they choose to manage their operations. Yeah, totally. I mean, I think I was going to mention, but <clears throat> we speak quite a while now that brands have been having like things like eco-friendly on their packaging mm. uh, as a selling point, uh, which shows that there has been a cultural shift in that people deem this to be a good and desirable thing now. Insofar as, you know, maybe the brand themselves isn't actually doing any of that at all. Maybe they're just doing the bare minimum uh, or they found a loophole to call it that via some weird, you know, maybe they're, not, maybe they're not doing it in spirit, but at least they're acknowledging that this is something people want and it is desirable and therefore you know, it keeps in the public consciousness. So, again, like like you say, you know, when you buy these things or you are rewarding that effort, then that's how, that's how big scale changes happen. It's gradually yeah. over time, but they do, do occur. And yeah, I'm very much like I think I saw a Twitter exchange and someone said like someone did a very arch and knowing tweet. Someone like, oh yeah, we're all working hard to fight this pandemic, but I don't see what why, what's the point. Like, there's so many more apocalyptic disasters coming down the line. Like, and so you know, whatever it was, but the question is like, what are you achieving by saying that? What, mm. what what is it you want to happen by saying, oh yeah, like all your efforts to try and fix things are doomed. So why bother? Well, mm. then that's a self fulfilling prophecy, isn't it? So mm-hmm. absolutely. Um, I mean, you you mentioned that the efforts that companies are making, and so, yes, indeed, some of them are doing the bare minimum, um, and a lot of a lot of them sadly are still very guilty of greenwashing. But mm, I think that people are becoming increasingly uh, clued up on those things because I think as we are gradually experiencing this pushback against capitalism, people are more likely to actually do the research and get the statistics and and will want to hold these companies to account. And the same applies between companies as well. If you've got two clothes manufacturers forever, you know, if they can shout from the rooftops about their real, authentic and meaningful, sustainable change in the face of their competitor, who's perhaps doing the bare minimum, then that's going to be a huge selling point. And mm. therefore, <clears throat> that the, the greenwashing competitor will have to pull their socks up, you know, in the, in the same way as I said about creating a, the, the social norms about caring for the planet. 
you know, if you're if you see your friend chucking some litter on the street and you say, what the heck, mate, that's not on. It's going to be the same with companies within, you know, fashion sector or the food industry or whatever. And everybody will have to toe the line. Um, but as you said, you know, there's that, that very sort of like arch righteous tweet about what's the point? Well, what it ultimately comes down to, in my opinion, is that we can all do a bit. <laughs> or we can all do nothing. <laughs> there we go. And that's it. That. What, yes. what we need is everybody sort of doing climate activism in an okay way, you know, rather than one or two people doing it perfectly. But everyone just, just does a bit because what's the alternative? The alternative is that we do nothing. And then if in, say, 50, 100, 200 years time, you know, someone turns around and goes, oh, wow, actually, climate change was never an issue at all. Then what have we done? We've just made the world a nicer place to be. Mm. And that's not a waste of time, is it? <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's a cartoon, isn't it? But it makes perfect sense. So, yeah, like, well, yeah, worst case scenario, <laughs> we just clean things up a bit. OK. Yeah. Worst case scenario, like some of the species don't go extinct, you know, <laughs> and our kids, our kids can breathe better. Oh, no, terrible. What a waste of time. <laughs> Yeah, well, well, there we go then. So, do you want to endorse your book and uh, plug it to the people who might listen to this? Yes. Yeah, so one, one more plug. Uh, mm. Book is out on the fifteenth of April with Harper Collins. It's called Everyday Activism. Um, it's a fairly accessible gateway into doing exactly what we've been talking about today. It's just small changes that people can make that will have a tangible impact on the world. Um, and looking at some of the psychology behind how collective action can actually make a difference. Excellent. So for those of you who apparently exist who thought that this is all that Rachel does, you were wrong about that. Yes, yes. <laughs> Rachel writes books and does all this, this stuff. This isn't even my whole thing. Whoever thought you were making a living off this? <laughs> I, just, I, just you live in, I just live in your shed, like some kind of <laughs> podcast gremlin that comes out when you're ready to yeah. record something new. <laughs> yeah. Rachel has a totally independent life away from this. So <laughs> now, you, now you can read all about the stuff she does. So there we go. Fab. All right then, Dean. Well, I will speak to you next week. No doubt. No doubt. See you a bit, Rich. Bye. Bye. So here is the outro with the relevant information, as promised. If you want to ask us anything mental health related, or would like to suggest a topic for Rachel and I to discuss, or even just leave feedback or some description, you can contact us via Twitter at BrainyapinPod. You can email us at BrainyapinPodcast at gmail.com or use the form on my site at deanbonnet.com. Like with most podcasts, positive reviews and ratings are always helpful. So if you are inclined to leave us such a thing on the podcast provider of your choice, that'd be appreciated. Uh, this podcast was launched to coincide with the publication of my new book, Psychological, uh, Why Your Mental Health Goes Wrong and What You Can Do About It, uh, or some of the subtitle, all about mental health and what's actually happening in our brains when we experience problems with it. Available now at all good book retailers and some of the less salubrious ones too, not fussy. As ever, Brain Yapping Battle Damaged is part of the Cosmic Shambles Network. For more curiously entertaining podcasts, live streams and live events, blogs and documentaries, head to CosmicShambles.com. To support the network, particularly during these times, and get access to lots of exclusive content, subscribe at Patreon.com forward slash Cosmic Shambles. See you next time.